I'll tell you while you're turning there, let me tell you another good part about this trip. We, uh, we're coming up from Charlotte towards, towards uh, Minster. And when you do that, you go right past a little town in North Carolina called Mount Airy. Anybody ever been to Mount Airy, North Carolina? Well, it's Mayberry. And uh, we had never been there, so we decided we were going to spend part of a day there. And I'm telling you, we saw Barney and Andy. Opie was there. We didn't see Otis, but we saw everybody else. And if you ever want a day to just enjoy, I mean, that's a, that's a real special day. And uh, we spent some time at the Snappy Diner at the bakery next door to it. Went into Floyd's Barber Shop. Saw Wally's service station, and uh, we just we had a time. I wrote a little article about I wish we could go back to Mayberry, and I I know it wasn't a real town, but they treated people differently then, and uh, it was a real special time, and we kind of connected that to some scripture, and it'd be it'd be real good in churches and in communities if we could teach, treat each other with respect like we used to and treat each other with hope towards each other and helpfulness towards each other. So that's just the old man in me talking, but I sure did enjoy it. Been a, I just want you to know it's been a wonderful trip, and uh, we've really, really enjoyed our time together and really enjoyed being here, seeing friends, and, and just enjoying the time. All right, did you find Philippians 2? All right, let's begin reading in verse 1. Very familiar passage. If there be therefore any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any bowels and mercies, fulfill ye my joy, that ye, being like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind, let nothing be done through strife or vain glory. But in lowliness of mind, let each esteem other better than themselves. Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself, became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Let's pray and we'll... If I were to pick three words that define our generation, it would be the word I, the word me, and the word mine. We, we are a generation that is so self-focused, we're not even self-aware. In other words, we're so focused on our lives, we don't, we're not even truly aware of how we impact others or, or how we don't impact them for good. I've pastored a long time, and I, I've counseled a long time, and, and I've come to understand that just generation, perhaps more than any other, <coughs> approach even the sacred things in a different way. You know, I've, I've sat across the desk for 42 years from people who are getting married or married and having trouble in their marriage. And, and I'll be honest with you, I've, I've come to the place where I hear things like this. I hear things like, well, I, I love them, but I'm not in love with them. What in the world does that mean? 
Boy, I, I tell you, we don't even understand the concept of love anymore. And it's because I think people approach things like marriage not for what they can bring to that relationship, but for what they get out of that relationship. We have friends, not on the basis of being a friend to someone, but on what that friendship can bring to our lives. Hey, lest, we're, lest we think we're different than the rest, I think people come to church no longer looking how they can minister and what they can give and how they can serve, but they come to church looking for how they can be served. We've got a phenomenon in our generation called seeker churches. And you know, when you first hear that, you think, well, man, that's a good thing. Churches are seeking people. That's not what it means. It means that people in our world are seeking to be fulfilled. They're looking for something. And when they go to a church, that church will seek to fulfill anything they want to be. And so anything you want at church, we'll, we'll try to be that for you. How about coming to church and saying, how can I serve others? But we've lost it. Even Americans years ago had to be reminded by their president, ask not what your country can do for you, but what you can do for your country. And I want to stand up someday. I want to, I want to de design a seminar. And the title of the seminar would be, Ask Not What Your Church Can Do For You, Ask What You Can Do For Your Church. But I would preach it to an empty room. I don't think anybody wants to know that anymore. I think they want to know, what can that church do for me? What can this marriage do for me? What can this friendship do for me? What can this job do for me? It can pay you if you work. <laughs> I love the missions conference because the missions conference causes us to come and confront ourselves. In this conference, more than any other thing we do, I believe, and that's why I believe a lot of churches have started calling their missions conferences mission revivals. Because when we actually confront ourselves about the selfishness and the self-focus that is in our lives, and we confront ourselves and say, but what are you doing about a lost world? What are you doing about a world that needs Christ? What are you doing about serving others? I, I think when we confront ourselves with that, there's an actual opportunity to be revived. Yeah. I love verse 4. Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. Now listen, I'm not being silly tonight. I realize that we've got to take care of our business. We've got to take care of our families. I'm not saying that we don't need to be cared for and take care. But what I am saying is, is that when an entire generation of churches comes to the place when they completely lose their focus on serving a world in the sense of winning a world to Christ, what in the world is the result of that going to be? And I can tell you the result is look around. This is the result or our world is the result. Now when I come to Philippians chapter four, 2, I realize that it's not what people would call a standard missions passage. 
I, I'm sure somebody's referred to it, and I'm sure others have preached on it, but I, not, I haven't heard somebody preach a missions conference message out of Philippians 2, and yet in my mind, it is the prototypical missions passage because it describes the work of the greatest missionary the world has ever known. It's written by one of the greatest missionaries who ever lived, the Apostle Paul, but the subject of this chapter is the greatest missionary who has ever lived, the Lord Jesus Christ. And I want you to get this tonight. The Lord Jesus Christ in this, these passages makes some incredible decisions. And the decisions that he makes are, are, have nothing to do what is good and convenient and comfortable for him. It is totally his looking on the needs of a lost world, looking down and seeing a lost Mike and Nancy Edwards and saying, how in the world can they ever be reconciled to a holy God? How will they ever get to heaven unless I am willing to go? Jesus, do you know what it'll cost you to go? Yes, I do, and it doesn't matter. Their need is that I go, and so I'll go. And the only reason I stand before you tonight preaching this gospel, it's not because of my self-righteousness. There isn't any. It's not because of my intellect. It's not even what I would have chosen to do. But by the grace of Almighty God, He saved me. He saved me. And because He saved me, He called me. I'm just saying to you, you know, I, I love preacher or, or these two missionaries. I love it when you guys come home and you tell us about how you do missions work and you give us names of people who got saved and how this one's now, you know, a different man, a different woman. They're doing this in the ministry. Well, I got news for you. I'm the product of a mission. I'm the product of the work of a missionary. His name was Jesus. And he came to where I was. Because I had a need, and it cost him an incredible amount. But he didn't look to his own need. He didn't look to his own comfort. He looked at my need and came to me. Now, that's the backdrop of what I want to preach on tonight. And I won't be long. You ever heard a preacher say that? Well, I mean it tonight. I want to give you three thoughts of what Jesus dealt with to be the greatest missionary that's ever lived. Here's number one. Jesus dealt with issues of his own comfort as you and I are going to have to deal with issues of our comfort if we're going to be obedient in the matter of missions. We live in a world where, honestly, this world thinks God exists for their good. We, we can just demand, we can say a set of words and God's obligated to do it because, I mean, look who I am. I, I, I'm here to tell you, we do not exist for God to be good to us. He is good to us. Right. We exist for God to be glorified through our lives. Amen. Our mission is to glorify God. Now I want you to understand that the Lord Jesus Christ, when he came, he dealt with issues of comfort. And you and I, 
We are, are sent like he was sent. We are to do, to live as he lived. We are to live looking on the needs of others and seeing the needs of others. And Jesus said, I know it will cost me to meet their need. And listen, in 2018, we need a group of believers and they'll be in churches like Calvary Chapel that say, I will deal with issues of my comfort so I can reach those who have great needs. May we never forget that the Bible actually teaches us we are to deny ourselves. I loved what those kids just sang. Don't mind me calling your kids, all right? Man, what we have here and what we think is so vital and is so important here will just simply fade so quickly. I think of the Lord Jesus. Allow yourself for just a moment to see the decision that he made. You do realize that Jesus is God. <laughs> and Jesus is equal to the Father and equal to the Holy Spirit. And, and yet he made the decision that he would not grasp that for himself and unto himself. He was willing to set that aside because we had a need. I think of heaven as a wonderful place. And I think of the Lord Jesus there on that throne and those angels above him shouting, Holy, holy, holy. And I think of those angelic choirs that were always singing glory to him and praise to him. I'm just telling, by the way, we're going to join in with that one of these days. Heaven is just a wonderful place. I think of the pleasantness of the crystal river of life. I think of the righteousness that surrounded that throne and all that went with that. And then I want you to get this picture. Jesus made a decision to leave there. <laughs> and I want you to think about what he got in return. I want you to see him on the throne in all that glory, and then I want you to contrast that with the manger. And can we change it from the manger to the animal sty? We have so prettied up. We have prettied up the birth of Jesus. We have prettied up the cross. Because it's offensive to tell it how it really was. But please, let's tonight just take a minute and remind ourselves, hey, you guys know what's in barns. I'm preaching to some folks who understand barns and animals. Not barns and nobles, barns and animals. You understand what goes on in that place. Your Savior traded the throne for that. He was born in absolute humility. And if you don't mind me saying it, it wasn't a clean little animal stall with a pretty little cow mooing and a couple of lambs and, and other animals standing by who looked like they just got a bath. It was a filthy night when the travelers were coming in and there were donkeys and every other thing in that place. Picture Jesus and what he gave up to come. Picture that river of life and contrast it with the Jordan River. My wife and I had the privilege several years ago, got to go to the Holy Land. And if you ever, ever, ever get the opportunity, seize it. 
And in my mind, the Jordan is like the crystal river in heaven. I mean, Jesus was baptized in it. It's going to be a gorgeous place, honey. Wait till you see it. It's a mud hole. It's not a beautiful river. And that's where our Savior comes and is baptized to be identified with the likes of us. Think of the streets of gold and contrast them with the dusty roads of Judea. Think of it. Think of the worship of angels and then picture him not in the midst of angels being praised, but picture him in the midst of a crowd shouting, crucify him, crucify him, his blood be upon us. See that crowd spitting on him, mocking him, jeering him, and contrasted to what he left. Angels praising him. We've prettied this thing up, folks. And I want you to understand Jesus paid an incredible price because he looked on our need and was moved by our need. In heaven, he was in fellowship with his Father and the Spirit of God. When he came here, he was rejected by his own. I'm just saying if we will honestly say to ourselves, hey, Jesus paid an incredible price in what he did in his comfort and he put aside his feelings and his own needs and for our sake came. He said, foxes have holes, birds have nests. And Jesus speaking said, I don't even have anywhere to lay my head. Everything I have is borrowed. I own nothing though I created everything. When they bury me, I'll have to borrow a tomb to be buried in. My favorite verse in the Word of God is 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and verse 9. For ye know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, that ye through his poverty might be rich. I had a father come into my office, been several years ago. He said, preacher, you just don't understand. You know, I've learned over the years, we preachers don't understand anything. We, we never understand. <laughs> we don't understand this, we don't understand that. You, never, you just don't understand. He said, I didn't, he said, I've not paid for Christian education, and I haven't put my son in college for you to talk to him about giving his life serving in a foreign field for next to nothing. I, I'm telling you, it started in the bottom of my feet and worked its way up through and into my heart. And I, I was able to contain myself, but I said, you know, I won't say his name, but I said, you're, you're going to so regret having said that someday. I said, I'm not going to argue with you. I'm not going to yell at you. I'm not going to fuss with you, but I'm just telling you, you're going to so regret that attitude. That what you've raised and trained your son to do was to make money and be comfortable. And I just want you to understand that your son is saved and you are saved because Jesus made exactly the opposite decision. And he was willing to do without. And he was willing to have no place to lay his head. And he was willing to be mocked and he was willing to be ridiculed and spat upon all because we had a need.
Hey, listen, we have become so professional in our Christianity Amen. that we have forgotten that we are the servants of the world. We're not the masters of the universe. We're, we're not the masters. That's, that's completely paradoxical to what Jesus teaches us. We are the servants of the world. And at some point, we've got to quit chasing what they have. And we've got to say to ourselves, we're not here that long. <laughs> and, and, and we've got to say, I, I want the mind of Christ. And I, I say that, and I, I've even got that written on a plaque in my office. Let this mind be in you. But what does it mean? What does it mean beyond the words? What does it mean beyond the saying? It means that I will see the needs of others. And I will let the Holy Spirit speak to me and move me. And I will deny myself comfort. I will deny myself things. I will literally deny myself so that the needs of others may be met. Listen, I look at these two little kids here. <laughs> little kids and that little baby. I got grandpa blood running through me. I don't know if you do or not, but I got grandpa blood running through me, and I'd grab that thing, and I'd steal her if I could. We'd take her, wouldn't we? Amen. And we'd give her back real quick because we're grandpas, okay? But can you, can you imagine the heart of a couple of grandmas and grandpas when they watch that precious little thing get on a plane and go to Brazil? Can you imagine what's in that, that little girl's heart, that little mama's heart? What's in that daddy's heart? He's acting brave. He's acting tough. <laughs> but there was a time when he said, I'm going to the mission field. And he closed his eyes when he went to bed that night. He said, what have I done? But there's stuff you're willing to give up. There's stuff you're willing to turn your back on. Hey, if these kids, David, if these kids are willing to go, can we not reach down into our lives and say, I, I can be less comfortable. I can deal with issues that say, I, I don't need this. I can do without a latte for a whole week. I, I can do without this and this and this because I looked on a world and I saw a need. I remember when we were in Uganda, one of the things that so moved my heart, and, and don't hear me saying this is our fault, that's not my point, but my point is we watched, we would go through villages, preacher, where the entire village were empty huts. And they were empty huts because the entire village, it's been 20 years ago, the entire village had been wiped out by AIDS. I would see the orphan children of those who had been given to another family in another village, and I would watch these children with a, with a cut-off gas can or diesel can, and I would watch them walk for miles and miles to get to a, a mud puddle in the road where they would scoop up the water and carry that water back for the day of that family's needs. I, I've watched men who would work a day for three 
three bananas to feed their family, go to bed for a few hours and get up and do it again to get something to feed those hungry mouths. That's not our fault, and I'm not saying it is, but I am saying to you, we live in absolute luxury compared to that. And God help us to look up on those fields and to see that need and to be moved to at least deal with the issues of the comfort in our lives. I'm not saying we can be Barnabas and give it all. But I am saying this, we can do without some. Notice with me number two. Jesus dealt with issues of his own desires as we must deal with. Look at verse 7. Man, this just, just blows me out. God but made himself of no reputation. He humbled himself. <laughs> he set aside his reputation, his position, his status and he became a servant. I sometimes think we have the mistaken notion that Jesus couldn't do anything but what he did. That somehow the Father's really in charge, and, and Jesus is God, but the Father's a little more God. And God the Father made Jesus do that. Please, that is completely incorrect. God the Father, Jesus is as much God as God the Father. The Spirit is as much God as Jesus and the Father. Please understand this. God gave His Son, but Jesus made the decision Himself to come. And can I remind you that the Scripture says, Thinkest thou that I cannot now pray to my Father? And he shall presently give me more than twelve legions of angels. But how then shall the scriptures be fulfilled that thus it must be? I'm just saying to you, they didn't kill Jesus. And Jesus wasn't forced to be on that cross. He was there because he made a decision about his reputation, about the future of his life. And he yielded his life for our need. I wonder if we have the willingness to have the mind of Christ in that matter. Preacher, you just, you just don't understand. I, I've just always wanted to be. And then they'll name something. Here, here's the one I've had said to me that I just love. I've just always wanted to be a doctor. And you know, some of the world would stand back and say, well, preacher, you know, I mean, he's not saying he wants to be a garbage man. He wants to be a doctor. Did you know that being a doctor out of the will of God is as wicked as being a garbage man out of the will of God? And being the highest uh, realm of our social ladder is as wrong as wrong can be if you've attained that and never considered what God would have you to do. Do you suppose that those who are servants and givers had nothing else that they could have used their time for, their talents for, their treasure for? I've had this one. Maybe you've had this too, preacher. Uh, hey, pastor, when I get my retirement done, I'm going to start giving to missions. When we get our house paid off, we're going to start giving. Them. No, you're not. No, you're not. Hey, look, I've lived long enough. I've heard it all. I know. I don't know it all, but I think I know it all. But I've heard it all. 
But I want to tell you, if you don't have the spirit of denial, self-denial now, and God doesn't do something in your life, you're not going to develop because you get a bill paid off. I'm just simply saying that Jesus had to make a decision about his life and, and what he was going to do with his life. And you and I are going to have to make those same decisions if we are going to have the mind of Christ. Here's number three. Jesus dealt with issues of his own resources as you and I must deal with. Look at verse 8 again. Being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. You know why that last phrase is in there? Because the death of the cross is so horrible. Because it was such a vile and horrible death. Oh yeah, he gave himself even to death, even the death of the cross. The word that marks the commitment of the Lord to meet our needs is those even unto death. The ultimate resource, as we see it, Jesus gave for us. Heaven and its wealth, he gladly gave. His suffering, his life, his dignity, he gladly gave. Jesus literally gave it all. You see, when we start talking about having the mind of Christ and we put it in the terms that we've talked about tonight, I wonder how many would say, oh, yes, I would love to have the mind of Christ. I certainly, I'm not willing, I mean, I'm not, un, I'd be perfectly willing to give up my comforts. I wonder if we'd have the mind of Christ to say, oh, yes, make me a servant. Humble me. Put, put me in a place where nobody will know my name. Put me in a place where I wonder if I'm even going to be remembered. Put me in a place where I may not just barely have enough to eat for the day. Put me in a place. I'm willing to be humbled that way. Put me in a place where it will cost me everything. I'm not up here trying to present myself as a paragon of virtue. I'm telling you, the guy standing in this pulpit struggles with this. Because I'm an, I'm an old fleshly guy, just like you. But I'm telling you, if we ever had a time in our lives where we wanted to confront ourselves and say, Oh, Holy Spirit, speak to me and change me and help me. God, help me to be willing to be uncomfortable if it means somebody else can go and see others saved. And God, help me to be willing to be humbled. I don't have to have the best. I don't have to have the biggest. Help me to be humbled if, if that's what it'll take to send somebody to get saved. And, and God, help me. I, I'm willing to give my treasure, willing to give my time if it means that someone can get saved. You know, the Lord Jesus gave it all. But let me ask you this. How many of you believe that he regretted it? You know, I'm not going to take the time tonight because i got a few more things to say, but if we read on down in this same passage, we see that he was exalted. I mentioned it to you last night. I'll mention it to you again. Listen, God respects and loves sacrifice. He was willing to give his son. His son was willing to give his life. And when we have the mind of Christ and in our lives are willing to give he looks at us and he says, I love that. 
And I would suggest to you that the most regret-free life is the life lived sacrificing what we can to the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. I said again, I'm not trying to make myself sound like too much of an old man, but I've, I've talked with people over the years, and what I've learned is this, that life is not a snapshot. Life is a full-run video. <laughs> and sometimes we just look at a moment but what we have to do is look at the whole life. And, and I want you to know that a lot of folks have been in my office or have talked with me and, and they're unwilling to follow the Lord. They're unwilling to, to humble themselves. They're unwilling to serve in the way that God is calling them. And they walk away and they seem to prosper. But I want you to know that's a snapshot. And the full run video is, is that later they regret. And if they don't regret in this life when they stand before the Lord, I've never heard anybody, and I know you've heard this before, I've never heard anybody that said, I wish I would have worked more <laughs> and made more and kept more and, and, and spent more on myself. Nobody ever gets to heaven and says that. I, I think of that story of the Good Samaritan and I think of that priest, the first one who went by that man in the ditch is the priest. And that priest, if anybody should have understood the principles of serving and sacrifice, it would be the priest who served in the temple and sacrificed. But the Bible says, and it's amazing to me, he saw the guy, but before he got to the guy, he crossed over to the other side of the road and went on his way because he couldn't be troubled with that. Do you think when he gets to heaven, he will look into the eyes of the Lord and said, glad I made that choice? Or do you think he'll stand before the Lord and say, I can't believe I was so wrapped up in myself that I simply neglected the opportunity that you put in my life. Next guy who comes down the road is a Levite. The Levite, the Bible says, saw the man in the ditch and went over and looked at him. Oh, I've met those guys. Oh, I wish somebody would help you. Oh, I wish, I feel so bad for you. Somebody needs to help him. But he was so wrapped up in himself and so busy and he so had to get to Jerusalem that he looked and had sympathy, no doubt, but passed on without helping. Do you think when he stands before the Lord, he'll look in the Lord's face and say, glad I made that choice? Or will he more likely say, I'm so sorry. I so regret that I thought my schedule was more important and I thought my wealth was more important and I, I just didn't think I had time to take him to the end. I, I just, I so regret that. I want to tell you, when I get to heaven, I have a lot of regrets. I told you last night, I wasn't raised, we weren't raised in Christian homes. I didn't get saved until after we were married and we had children and I was 23 years old when I got saved. I will live the rest of my life with the regret that I wasted 23 years for my Lord because I had heard the gospel. 
I was just too smart, you know. But I'll tell you, when God got a hold of my heart, and please don't hear me saying I haven't made mistakes and I have no regrets since I've been saved, but I am telling you this, the older I get and the more I know the Lord and the more clear it becomes, I don't want to live with regret. I don't want to make the wrong choice. I, I don't want to hurry and, and, and be so self-focused on myself and so aware of myself and so much about my needs and so much about my comfort and so much about who I am and my status and my reputation and this, that, and the other. I don't want to run through life and not see the need. And when God brings the opportunity to me and he says, here's an opportunity for you to make the right choice, I want to make it. And I'm just going to be honest with you. I believe that's what a missions conference is. It's an opportunity to make the right choice. And to not live with regret. Let me give you a quick story and I'll be done. There was a man named William Borden. (laughs) I'm sure many of you have heard of William Borden. William Borden was, 1904, he he was the heir to the Borden Dairy fortune. I don't know if Elsie is still around, and I don't know if the Borden family is still around, but in 1904, it was a huge deal. He was a millionaire before he graduated from high school because Dad had given him a trust fund. That's in 1904. A million was actually a million. (laughs) His mother had gotten saved at the Moody Church. And through his high school years, she was teaching him and challenging him to know the Lord, and he got saved. When he graduated from high school, they gave William Borden as a graduation gift a trip around the world. You know, it's what our kids get, (laughs) luggage. (laughs) He went around the world, and... And the more places he saw and the more things he saw, he wrote home to his mom and his dad and he said, Mom and Dad, I appreciate everything you are and everything you do and I understand what you have accomplished. But he said, I I just can't give my life to it. God's called me to reach the world. God's called me to the mission field. Boy, at first his father, how can you turn your back on this business? How can you turn your back on this fortune? And and he was irate with him, but he wasn't going to (laughs) change. He went off to Yale University. Now, in 1904, Yale was a divinity school and was a pretty good place to go. And when he got there, he preached and revival came to Yale. He started the Yale mission uh, to the downtrodden and, and it grew and, and literally hundreds if not thousands were saved. While he was at Yale, he wrote in the flyleaf of his Bible, no reserves, no reserves. In other words, what he was saying is, I know what God has called me to do, and I'm not holding anything back. And I'm willing to give up this fortune. No reserves. I'm not keeping anything back. While he was at Yale, God worked on his heart and laid on his heart to reach the Kanzu people in the the mountainous areas of China. Now, they were an Islamic people. 
And so to be able to reach them, he had to learn Arabic. And so when he graduated from Yale, he went to Cairo. Now, you have to understand, when he graduated from Yale, tremendous pressure was put on him. Hey, listen, you've got a great degree. You, you could be a titan of industry. You've already got uh, all the resources you need. You've got to go home and work with that company. And he took the same Bible, and next to the words, no reserves. You know what he wrote? He wrote two more words, no retreat. I'm not going back. I'm not going back on what God has called me to do. I'm not going to hold anything back from the Lord. I'm giving him my life. I'm giving him my fortune. I'm giving him my reputation. No reserves, holding nothing back. No retreat. I don't care if I'm being pressured to take the business. I don't care if I could uh, do more and build more and have more. No retreat from what I said I would do. He went to Cairo, and there he was... Again, started a ministry right away, reaching Islamic folks, learning the Kanzu language. And several, several months after he was there, he contracted a virus that was terminal. He's a young man, 25, 26 years old. His heart is to go to the Kanzu people of China. His heart is to be fully used of God. And he contracts this disease and is brought home to die. Now, here's the rest of the story. They opened up his Bible after his death. And about two weeks before his death, he had taken the flyleaf of that Bible and added two more words. No reserves. No retreat. No regrets. Man. I stand so convicted of that. That a man could so love the Lord and so have the mind of Christ that he was willing to give away a fortune and say, I'll hold nothing back. And he could be so pressured that he could move forward now. He'd, 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 he'd been a good guy and seen a lot of people saved. Now, get into business, no retreat. And on his deathbed, when he had literally given his life, he said, no regrets. Can I ask you a question tonight? What do we need to do to write that on the flyleaf of our Bible? No regret. God spoke to me and I obeyed. God showed me and I obeyed. God gave me that opportunity and I obeyed. God gave me the opportunity for that choice and I chose right and no regret. Here's what I'm asking you tonight and I'm done. Over the next 24, 36 hours, Sunday, before we fill out those cards, just put yourself before the Lord. And say, Lord, what are you speaking to me about? Hey, it's, it's not impossible that God could be calling someone to go from this church. Oh, you don't understand, preacher. I've lived here all my life. Yeah, Jesus lived in heaven too. <laughs> yeah. It's just not impossible that God could be saying go. But God is certainly saying give. And God is certainly saying we need to sacrifice. We need the mind of Christ. We will deal with issues of our comfort. We will deal with issues of our reputation, our life. 
and we will deal with issues of our resources. And as Jesus gave it all, we will give what you lead us to give, Lord. Because we want to write on the flyleaf of our Bible, hey, after the missions conference of 2018, no reserve. All through this year, no retreat. And by the end of the year, there won't be any regret because I will have obeyed the Lord and I will have seen God work in my life. Would you pray with me?